Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures. Connect with students from around the world and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. The Profile is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and testimony and it's brought to you in association with the magazine that I edit. It's Premier Christianity magazine, the UK's leading Christian magazine. If you would like a free sample copy of our latest issue, you can head to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample and you'll find more interviews, features, news reviews and more. Just go to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample for your free copy of the latest issue but today on the profile i'm speaking to jb gill jb rose to fame as a member of one of the uk's biggest boy bands jls selling over 10 million records worldwide and releasing five number one singles four years ago jb set up a farm in the kent countryside where he lives with his wife chloe and two-year-old son their small holding successfully produces award-winning turkeys and free-range pork and he's passionate about educating both children and adults about food he's the lead presenter on cbb's bafta nominated tv series down on the farm and he's a contributor to bbc's country file and spring watch in August last year, JB also joined the Songs of Praise presenting team. And now he's here with us at Premier Christian Radio as we chat more about all he's involved with. JB, welcome to the programme. Thank you very much. Now, I understand you were making music as early as seven years old, which is pretty remarkable. So music <laughs> must have just always been there. Was that a family thing? Where, where did it come from? Um, to be honest, I don't know. I do remember when I was at primary school, we had to pick up an instrument, you know, and I think they do it at most primary schools. It's just kind of giving you know children a bit of diversity and encouraging them in various different talents. And um, I do remember when I took, I think it was the recorder that I started with. Everyone starts on the recorder. There you go. Um, <laughs> and I took it home and I just really, really enjoyed playing it. And um, I think a lot of the the sort of the books and sheet music you were given then, you know, really well known, either um, nursery rhymes or whatever. And I remember just wanting to play through the whole book and reading, you know, whether it was Twinkle Twinkle or whatever it was, and just wanted to play the whole thing. Um, and I remember quite quickly progressing through that. And I think it was just something that my mum and and dad encouraged me to do. Mm. Um, my mum in particular, because I don't, she she actually isn't that musical. Uh, I'm sure like the rest of us, she enjoys music and, you know, various different styles and so on. But um, she, you know, she didn't come from a musical background or anything mm. like that. My dad doesn't come from a musical background. But I think she saw a talent there that, that she felt needed to be mm. nurtured. And, and uh, it went from the, the the recorder to the flute. And I remember I was the only, one of the only, no, one of uh, two in my class um, to play the flute. And I had a, a private lesson for the flute as well, which was kind of a, a bit unusual in, in my school um, and then that progressed into me working with the or being um, 
I say signed to, it's not signed to, um, going and, and being a part of the Centre for Young Musicians. So I did that until I was about 12 years old, I think. Wow. And um, yeah, it was, I just loved music. I yeah. really enjoyed it, especially classical music. Yeah. I remember hymn practice was one of the most exciting times, yeah. which most people hate. You know, they hate going into assembly. They'd much rather be in their classes or whatever. I loved assembly. I loved hymn practice. And our uh, primary school headmaster used to always put on classical music whenever we were walking into, into uh, assembly. Yeah. And, you know, at the time, one of the things he was saying was that, you know, it just helps you calm all the children down. You know, you file in quietly and it's just really peaceful. Yeah. For me, I just really enjoyed it. I love classical music. Even to this day, it's probably wow. one of my favourite types of music to People listen to. People wouldn't necessarily expect that, I guess, knowing you for JLS and the kind of music you were putting out, which is much more pop, uh, wouldn't know that you had an interest in classical music, much less farming, of course, which we'll come on to as well, which might surprise <laughs> people. But just sticking with your early story, I think uh, to begin with, you're in Antigua, is that right? Yeah, so I spent probably the early part of my formative years in the Caribbean. Um, my mum used to be a nurse, um, and well, she trained as a nurse and uh, was working out there, and she's from Antigua. Um, and so we lived in Antigua and Barbuda for probably till I was about three or four, mm. and then um, came over to... What brought you over to the UK? Well, I was born here. Um, but, and my parents had lived here before, uh, but I think it was just a, a job opportunity. You know what it's like with with sort of you know the nursing profession. You can do that anywhere around the yeah. world. So I think there was a post that came up, and and um, we lived there for a time, and then that either came to an end, I think, or or it's the right time to move on, and then we came back yeah. here. What was um, your first encounter with the Christian faith? I mean, I grew up in church, so especially on my mum's side. Um, my mum's a, a Christian, uh, and my great aunt, who's probably, I suppose, the most influential Christian in my life, is, mm. you know, she's been a Christian since she was 14. So, you know, I, I've grown up around that. I, I went to church. In fact, um, when we lived in Barbuda, as I say, Antigua, Barbuda, um, a lot of my closest family and, and a lot of the people that my mum are friends with and acquaintance with, um, one of them's a pastor of, a, of, the, of the local church, right. one of the local churches yeah. now. Um, so I, it's always been, I suppose, always integral to yeah. yeah how yeah. I've grown up. Yeah, and then by the time you got to kind of university age, I know you you began to study theology at King's College London. So did that come from a kind of personal place of having a, a personal connection to faith and being a Christian yourself? Not really, to be honest. I mean, I love music and. Um, my focus with music, you know, very, very strong. But one of the reasons why I didn't, I suppose, continue along the classical path was because I never really quite, you know, being 13 years old or whatever it was, never understood how I could make that transition, for, you know, to making a living out of this mm. um, and and coming from a classical background. So mm. I got to about 13 and I started playing sport and things like that. And it's unfortunate, really, because I went to a, a secondary school that was, that's really pro-music, you know, very, very good. They've got some incredible, you know, uh, uh, classical music artists and so on. And they actually encouraged them to come from overseas and study in the UK and, and get, you know, scholarships and bursaries and all yeah. that sort of stuff. But I guess... They're one of the rules at the school was that if you were selected for a sports team, you had to play. And that was always on a Saturday. And then I had to make a decision between playing for the sports team, which obviously I really enjoyed. I'm quite sporty. Um, and continuing to go to Centre for Musicians, which was also on a Saturday. Right. So I ended up making the decision to go into sport. And I was pretty good at it. You know, I played to quite a high level. I played for Surrey, played for uh, uh, London Irish at yep. the time, rugby. Um, so I really, really enjoyed that. And it was only when I got injured about 17, 18, that that didn't really become an option for me going forward. Um, and I 
was in the I sort of found the love of music again from a more contemporary perspective. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say, um, so more sort of singing and you know being involved in it in a more popular sense, pop yeah. sense. Um, but I knew that I wasn't going to just get into the industry straight away, you know, and I didn't know exactly how to to get into the industry. Mm -hmm. um, I you know sort of took up vocal lessons and stuff like that, and when it came to deciding to go to university, I knew I was capable of going to university, even though my ultimate aim wasn't necessarily with a un to have a university background, if that makes sense. So it was more of a, a nod to, of the cap to my parents and the fact that they'd given me such a, a great education. Um, it was more a uh, backup because I didn't want to waste that education, mm -hmm. you know, and I was more than capable of going to university. Yeah. And I knew that I also needed a bit of time to find my way in what I wanted to be my future mm -hmm. industry. So I went to university and I thought, well, what's the best subject that I, you know, what's the best subject that I can do? What am I the best at? <laughs> what, am I know, what do I know that if I, if anything happens, I can still do pretty well okay. and not disgrace the family. Yeah. And that was theology. The backup plan. Theology. There you go. I mean, do you know what? To be honest, I, I should give it a bit more credit. I love theology. And yeah. obviously, you know, coming from a Christian background, I love having discussion. I grew up with debate. Like my brother, um, he's younger than me. Um, and, you know, we, we've had multiple <laughs> theological debates. And, and I love, you know, I love it. I love sort of putting down an argument on paper and I love writing and things like that so it was a perfect subject really for me and it didn't necessarily it came from more from an academic background than yeah. anything else if I'm honest at that time in my life yeah. um but there, obviously there's just so much that you can you, you can learn and that you do learn um mm. Brilliant. Well, we'll have to see if we can have a theological debate a little bit later on. It could be, this could be good fun. I'm sure you'd beat me uh, given your, your background. But you, you didn't complete the degree, did you? Because as you say, this was always a kind of backup plan and you really at this point wanted to pursue music. So I guess even while st studying theology, you were trying to do more singing and, and try and get in, um, get in that kind of world. And ultimately, you were incredibly successful, of course. And we'll come on and talk more about exactly what happened. But but just tell me about that kind of time in university where you kind of had one eye on music. And mm. uh, were your sort of studies suffering at all? Or were you doing a, a good job at balancing the two? Well, in my first year, just before I started, I kind of, I wouldn't quite call it a prayer because I wasn't that firm in my faith at the time, um, but it was kind of more a demand that I placed on myself that I passed off as a prayer. And effectively, <laughs> I just said to myself that I want to either be in music within six months of leaving university or have to make a decision between leaving and going into full-time music, basically. Yeah. And in a roundabout way that's exactly what happened so I my first year as I say I, I was still based in London I went to King's College London um, and it meant that I could obviously balance my studies I did stay in halls for the first year so I was right in the centre of town and you know, I was able to go and visit other people you know develop my craft going you know to various different performances and you know best signed unsigned nights or whatever it was mm. go and um do vocal training and that's kind of how it all started really um and i remember my first year um my vocal coach at the time a lady called carla she's based in um holborn no hoxton sorry um she said oh, i've met this guy called Arishe and it's really cool um, and he wants to put a group together like if you're interested just give him a call so that's kind of how I, I got to meet Arisha and you know when I did meet him he told me yeah, I've met these three these other two guys sorry um, and we're looking for a fourth member and you know what would you be interested this that, and the other I auditioned for him effectively um, the following week I auditioned for the other boys as well Aston and Marvin um, and that's kind of how JLS started mm. and I suppose there wasn't an ultimate goal at that time um, but we 
to varying de different degrees, we'd all have had experience with the music industry or we wanted to get into the music industry. Um, and so it was a case of yeah. us working together to try and achieve the ultimate mm -hmm. goal effectively, which would have been to get signed or whatever, or managed, you know. So that's kind of how it started. And I remember in my second year, we'd sort of picked up the, the pace, picked up the momentum. We'd been doing our own best unsigned at competitions and things like that, being involved in development, um, you know, with development companies and de by, you know, by development companies, I mean management companies and stuff like that, trying to get signed. It was never the right deal. It's never the right opportunity. And we'd done so much by ourselves. It, we just kept on going. And for me, it was a case of continuing to pursue that. And in my second year, I, I did pass my second year, but mm. it was tough because we then in a situation where, you know i'd need time a week or whatever to go and do this competition yeah. but obviously university didn't quite understand because they just think you know you're a young 20 year old or whatever yeah. you know trying to trying to do something else yeah. trying to do something new and you know i don't i don't blame them for that they weren't 100 percent supportive but they weren't dismissive and i was able to defer a year mm. and um that year was obviously the year that we then entered the x factor yeah and it all took off and the rest, as they say, is history. So, uh, you know, to all intents and purposes, I would have, I would have gone back and finished if I think if, um, yeah, uh, if we hadn't been successful. If, if with you know, the if you hadn't been getting number one singles and touring <laughs> the world, and yeah, I would have gone back. But you know, I was a bit busy doing other stuff. That's cool. Exactly. Um, it's interesting. Sometimes when I talk to people about going to university and studying theology, people who come from a Christian background or will call themselves Christians, oftentimes that's actually the moment they lose faith. You hear a lot of people say, actually, I went to university, perhaps not with a massive strong faith and suddenly I was thinking through these big issues and and I started to really question was that your experience that, that actually it didn't necessarily um, increase or enhance your faith no I, I I definitely didn't question my faith for me I've never really had the the academic inclination to I suppose question and reject my faith mm. or I suppose the principles of faith for me they've been very very strong the places where I've struggled more as a, as a person is exercising that and putting that into practice and building building what I call or you know what is necessary which is effectively the um the discipline of mm. faith mm. you know and I think you know even the most seasoned Christian struggles with that yeah. but that's where the issue came in so it's never a case of you know whether do I whether I believe in God or yeah. whether I believe in these principles and some of the theological principles so you know, I, I I was very firm in my faith, so to speak, mm. in terms of what I believe. What you believe, it's just yeah, living it out. The exercise, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the execution of that, and and that developed obviously over time as I as I got older. So tell me more about JLS, uh, about the early days of X Factor. Um, what are your memories now, looking back on that time? I mean, it was just a whirlwind, to be honest. I mean, there wasn't much time to stop and think, to be honest, and. I always say the X Factor is just like a crash course in the music industry. Over the, I think it's about twelve weeks, something like that, mm. which is crazy. If you think you get, you have someone who comes from effectively nothing in terms of you know music, you know, popularity, notoriety, you know, uh, artistry within mm. music, and then going from that to winning we didn't win but you know if you then well, go you know you, you were almost, runners up you, yeah. were, you were pretty much there of course i mean i, I want it's interesting <laughs> you bring that up because sometimes even today you hear people say oh well you know x-factor bands they they get a bit of success or whatever they might get the christmas number one afterwards but then you never hear from them and, and that might have been true for other artists but that wasn't true for you you know this this show did effectively launch what was a very very successful career for you so yeah you didn't win but you you got an amazing career out of it absolutely you know and and that's exactly what it was it was a it was a crash course in that transition and you know most most are, uh, as an example we were doing best unsigned act competitions with jesse J, 
and Jesse J didn't get signed until I think a good two or three years into mm. it, you know, after we'd done the right, X Factor. Yeah. But the X Factor wouldn't have been the right avenue for her. Yeah. And I think we saw a gap within that show in, in the format and, and how they, they, they make it. Um, the groups were underrepresented. Certainly groups that had come together already mm-hmm. and then gone on to the yeah. show. And so we, we knew that if we were able to demonstrate our talent and you know at least get through to the live shows then we'd be able to to do well, you know, and, and, and anything can happen after that. And that's what, exactly what we did. And yeah. and as you say, it was the start to to what was, you know, yeah. a credible career. Yeah. And was it as straightforward as, as it appeared at the time? Because at the time it appeared, well, they've done well on the X Factor. And then next thing you know, the number one singles are following and the tours and everything. Was it was it really that kind of straightforward from your point of view? It was from our point of view. Um, I couldn't comment on sort of the other side of it, but... As I, as I mentioned, we we took we took control from the very beginning. You know, even our decision to go onto the show mm. wasn't manufactured. Mm. It wasn't inspired by anybody else. Um, well, the, obviously, theoretically, it was inspired by God. But <laughs> in t- from our perspective, yeah, it was sure. us. You know, yeah. we were we sat down in the car together. We were at our wits' end. We run out of all our resources. You know, friends, contacts, money, everything, and that was our decision to go and do that show. Yeah. And you know, similarly, when we came out of the show, I remember we sat down with um, you know the guys who were who were who'd been assigned to manage us and the record label and all these people and said, "This is what we want to do, guys." You know, and there were various different bits and pieces. As an example, Simon Simon Cowell didn't sign us, but there were other opportunities, and you know, we're very lucky to to be able to grasp those opportunities. But for us, it was never a case of, well, let's see what happens now. It mm. was a case of go out and get, go out and achieve, go out and do whatever we, you know, what we had been dreaming of doing, and that was how it all all I suppose took off. Can we get a few bars of an old JLS tune off the cuff? <laughs> Everybody in love, gonna put your hands up. Everybody in love, gonna put your hands up. Everybody in love, gonna put your hands up. If you're in love, put your hands up. Brilliant. I love it. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> Thank you for indulging me. I appreciate it. You, you mentioned before about, you know, having kind of strong faith, belief in God, but like the practical outworkings of it were, were sometimes tricky. Where were the other guys in the band in terms of faith? And, and did that ever come up as a kind of conversation of, of your own faith background? Not really, because as I say, for me, it, it kind of, at that time, it kind of gone on the back burner. And not for any particular reason. You know, I, I, people always asked me and and you know obviously people who understand about tithing and things like that like I still tithed you know but I didn't go to church yeah you know and I just didn't really spend that much time sort of reading praying things like that but as I say and there was never a doubt about those things and things like that so it was just a case that I don't know I think life was just busy you know mm. and it was one of those things where you're young I was only 20 I was 21, um, you know, you're young, you're ambitious. This is something that you've been dreaming, dreaming about for however long, you know, yeah. and I come from a musical background. Like I love music. So for me, it was, this is how I see it happening, you know, and we all know that our, our views are always, you know, uh, 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 sort of, I suppose one track, you know, one track minded or whatever, you know, our views are, are relatively closed until you're able to experience a bigger picture, until you're able to interact with other people. And, you know, similarly, I, you know, I, I just didn't know anybody sort of on the gospel side of music. Right, I didn't yeah. know, you know, I didn't have those contacts. Yeah, so yeah. this was the way that I knew, yeah. you know, and I effectively, I was just living that. You know, there was there were opportunities because, again, all the boys have got, you know, ties to Christianity. They've got members of their family who are Christians. You know, Asin's got, uh, his grandparents are 
uh, you know, very much strong Christians. I think they live overseas, so it doesn't necessarily see them that often. But, you know, there's definitely that presence there. Yeah. Marvin's family, you know, half of his family are, are members of the, of the church. And again, involved in music. He comes from a very musical family. Um, a lot of them play in bands and stuff like that. So, so, like, looking back on that, do you kind of wish that there was maybe someone a bit closer to you who could have kind of spoken to your life a bit and, and helped you in figuring some of that out? Um, not necessarily. I believe in... Uh, things happen for a reason you know and I believe that there's a purpose for us being doing what we were doing and for me being a part of that group and you know being doing doing what I was doing as part of JLS and more so now you know I've, we'll talk about the transitions in, in, in a minute but especially now when I think about you know what I'm trying to do and and I remember when I first made the decision to go into farming it was very much a case of you know I want to step back from music and I don't mm. you know I want to make this change and you know that's that and this is now mm. but actually I've come to the realization now that my life is 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 a continuing journey do you know what I mean it's not that ended and this has begun and that's whatever it's I can use all of it in order mm. to to go forward and so for me it's less compartmentalizing which is what we're taught to do I guess through society mm. and actually being more inclusive you know so my my what I'm doing now is is as important as what I was doing then I can use what I was doing then in order to boost what I'm doing now do you know what I mean things like that yeah. it's really a, a complete journey and yeah. should be a hot part of my life and it's similar to our attitudes to God do you know what I mean a lot of people you know God is kind of reserved for a, a day or you know faith is reserved for a time you know for a special occasion often or whatever it might be but actually our faith should be with us all the time mm, absolutely so um you already talked about how it wasn't kind of manufactured for you that you, you know it sounds like you guys in JLS were really kind of switched on from the beginning about the industry and what you wanted and went on to X Factor really deliberately and in the same way when the band ended it, it sounds like you were really quite deliberate about that and you said look we've had a good run we got to the end of our record contract which is quite an unusual thing for a band to be able to do and you just felt like you kind of wanted to almost quit while you're ahead to think let's go out on a high quite a kind of deliberate um decision how are you able to discern now is the right time for this to end i think you know that just came with discussions and again those discussions were internal they weren't external um our our management company at the time came to us and said guys you know that this is your final album and we'd, we'd already put the tour on um on sale and we knew that we were going to be doing that i think at 18 months at, at the time it's always sort of a year to 18 month cycle um and they said you know you, you've got greatest hits album which you can do um but that doesn't count in terms of your your number of albums if that makes sense okay. you make four for us it was a four four studio album deal so mm -hmm. we'd done four studio albums or we just finished yeah. our fourth so they said you know you're in a position now where you can effectively negotiate a new deal like what do you want to do do you want to do four albums five albums one album no albums what well, like, what what do you want to do so we all sat down and just said right okay guys this is situation this is what we're doing this is where we're going like what is the plan and at that time i think we were probably I was about 27, I think. Uh, I think Marvin would have been the eldest at 28. Um, and we've been doing this for the best part of like six, seven years. You yeah. know? And don't forget, also, we've been together from before that. You know, So that's a long time. If you think of, I suppose, people in their careers and where they work, you know, not many people stay in the same job, not this day and age anyway, you know, for seven, eight years. Yeah. And, and it's, it's all-encompassing. It's not like having a nine-to-five job where you can go in and then you can go out, you can take your holiday and then that's it and you can mm -hmm. switch off and not answer emails and things like that. Like, even now, if I go somewhere, someone says to me, oh, JLS. You mean, like, they, they, yeah. they involve me in that group, which is fine, you know, it, yeah, yeah. it's true. I am part of JLS, but that's how people see you. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, you're always representing that, you know, and 
you know, the, the boys will agree, you miss out on family time, you miss out on weddings, funerals, births, christenings, you miss out on everything, you mm. know, and if you do have an emergency, I mean, it's got to be a real emergency, mm. because the way that we approached it, and the reason for our success was also a reason for it to, to not continue. And right. we saw it as a business. It's always been a business. We love the business, but it's a business at the end of the day. And, you know, there comes a time, I believe, as, as an individual, any individual, where you have to learn who you are. And I think because of the time we came into the industry, we knew enough. But I, for me personally, anyway, I won't speak for the boys, but for me personally, I hadn't learned who I was, what I stood for, what I believed in, do you know what I mean? in that sense. Mm. And... It was around the time when I was thinking about getting married and things like that and obviously potentially children in the future and stuff. And I just got to the point for me personally where I was like, you know what, this is the right time for mm. to step away because, you know, there's there's more important things yeah. than just, yeah. you know, continually going on, yeah, being, touring, yeah. being away, doing this, doing whatever. And if I did, ha- you know, when I did get married and then if I did have children, my thought process was, okay, well, what do I want for them? You know, what kind of example do I want to live yeah. for them? You know, what do I want, do I want to be around? Do I not want to be around? Yeah. You know, so that sort of thing. Yeah, and I, I would imagine that when you're at such a high level of success and when you've got fans and you've got people telling you kind of who you are, to a certain extent that isn't enough. You need to know for yourself who you are. Of course, and, you know, we're all individuals and the music industry's, I suppose, quite good at that because it has its over, you know, there's an overlying current of what's popular you know that's pop music and so you try and fit into that often and there's nothing wrong with that that has its t- a time and a place but for me you're an individual at the same time and it's it's, it's harder and easier if you're an, if you are your own artist you know when you're in a group you're always going along with the current of the yeah. group you know even if you disagree if we always had a policy if it's three against one then it, it passed two and two then we come to an agreement we work it out I mean most of the time it was all of us you know but if we ever had a dispute that's how we how we worked it out and so often you might have to compromise on things that you wouldn't necessarily want to do mm-hmm. so you know things like that if you're by yourself it's fine you can just say do you know what I'm taking a bit of time out yeah. I'm doing this I'm doing that whatever it's not as difficult mm-hmm. but you know we we it was the right time for us we'd achieved so much you know we we'd not had the success that we want you know or I suppose the as much success as we'd wanted overseas and stuff like that. And it was just the right time, you know. Quite often when you um, talk to musicians and you hear about bands breaking up, you hear a lot about kind of egos and, oh, there was fighting and bad relationships. And that doesn't seem to be part of your story. So honestly, was there, was that, none of that was going on. It was genuinely, you all came to an agreement and you're all good friends. I mean, I can't stand the boys. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, I mean, we've all got kids now. We all hang out with each other. We all go to each other's, you know, family dues and whatever else. And, you know, we've got good friendships, even with, the boy, you know, boys' family members, you know, like I'm really close, you know, my wife and I are really close with some of Marvin's cousins and stuff like that. And, you know, even now, like, we don't see each other as often as we did, of course, but, you know, we always go into various different events to support each other. You know, um, Marvin sent me a a video the other day of of his two children watching down on the farm, uh, which is, you know, we have that relationship. It is like brothers, you know, you grow up, we've all left home, so to speak, but we still connect, you know, we still come together for those special occasions and stuff like that. And, you know, we're always trying to get together. You're listening to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. Stick around to hear more from JB Gill. We'll be right back with the second part of my interview right after this. Premier Christianity magazine in this month's issue. Jesus died so you could be rich. Is the prosperity gospel a false gospel? 
Is TV's reality hit Love Island forbidden fruit or a wake-up call for Christians? And what happened when one woman set off to cycle the world and encountered God? Discover answers to these questions, plus opinions, news and much more in the August issue of Premier Christianity magazine. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. Today, I'm sitting down with the pop star JB Gill to hear more about his faith and also what he's done since leaving the chart-topping band JLS and moved on to farming, of all things. So let's catch up with the rest of my interview with JB Gill. You can also read this interview in the latest edition of Premier Christianity magazine. That's the magazine that sponsors this show. Get a free sample copy at premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Not only can you read this interview, there's also great features on uh, topics as diverse as the prosperity gospel, Love Island, and one woman's amazing story of how she went from alcohol addiction to finding new life in Christ. A fantastic testimony. There's features interviews articles loads more get a free sample copy premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample but for now let's get back to the rest of my conversation with jb gill do you think there's a part of you that now still even just slightly kind of longs for that level of success and fame again you know is there a part of you that thinks oh actually in the future i'd still love to have like another number one single or or have your kind of desires changed in that respect my desires definitely change in that respect. It's not so much for the success. I do think that whatever it is that I'm going to do may well have that level of, of success again. But my goal isn't necessarily for the success, if that makes sense. Whereas arguably it might have been that So you want, you want to be successful, but you don't think your definition of success in the future will be like another number one single? No. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, for me, it's kind of, that would be a byproduct you know, what I if I was ever to 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 do my own music, produce my own music again, or you know, release a, a solo album or whatever, um, it would be because I feel there's a need for me to do that, as opposed to saying, do you know what, I want to get back into music and I want to start releasing music again, and my my aim is to have a number one single or whatever. So, so here's the question then that we've kind of been building up to that I'm still wondering how I asked this. So, how exactly <laughs> did you transition from being in a huge pop boy band to becoming a farmer (laughs) (laughs) well i suppose the simple answer is when i moved out of my family home i moved to where i am now and coming from as i say the caribbean and you know being used to lots of open space green space and and you know i suppose that closeness with with nature Mm -hmm. and growing things and and the food that we eat um i there was an opportunity to buy about 10 acres of farmland with my property and I, to be honest, I didn't actually want to get it with that. I just thought, let me just get a house. It's going to be here. Is what it is. That's it. And my mum said, no, 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 you should get the land with it. You know, land, once you've got it, you've got it kind of thing. You could do anything with it in the future. And so I did. Um, and I suppose the farming didn't really, you know, there was never really any, um, I suppose, desire to go into farming. But it came, came about quite organically, excuse the pun, um, <laughs> in a sense that, I used to have to sort of, you know, cut all the grass back and, you know, pay someone effectively to come and hay it. And I never really saw the logic in that. I didn't get the fact that it was my land, my grass, my hay that had grown for the year. And then 
I had to get, pay someone else to come and take it away. Like there was no real benefit to it. And I just, as I say, I, I, in that in that period, I did quite a lot of transitioning because as I say I got um, I got married. Well, I was about to get married, um, and thinking about getting married and what what I want to stand for as an individual, you know, how I want to live and things like that. And one of the things that kept coming back to me and was really, really important to me was resourcefulness, you mm. know. And I think as a society, and myself included, I'm not, you know, uh, exempt from that. We're, we're really, really bad at being resourceful. Do you know what I mean? Like, we we can buy it. It's so easily accessible, you know. Yeah, we just Whether end up throwing a lot of food away. Well, it's not even just food. Everything. Clothes. You know, we go shopping every week or whatever it might be. Do you know what I mean? You buy new training. You know, I've got so many clothes, so many trainers. And arguably, partly, it's been part, you know, it's been part, for me anyway, it's been part of what I've do because you know if you, you need a new outfit for this that, and the other but even that mentality you mm. have to have a new outfit for this because yes. you know is well, yeah i mean according to the sort of celebrity press and tabloids it's it's the worst thing ever if a woman turns up at an event in the same dress she wore last year you, you know go. what i mean like you get slated for that which i've never quite understood but. there you go you know and it, what, what, what's that all about but you know i don't know that's... i don't know man i'm still trying to figure out <laughs> you can tell me I, I i still don't know but you know that aside obviously it's nice to have you know new stuff but my sure. point is often these things are just wasted you know and in that in that situation if we bring it back to to the farm you know it's just a wasted space you know it's 10 acres of nothing really you know but for me i felt as it was such a great piece of land such a you know a gift really that i've been able to have it and it was mine you know what can I do with it and so that's kind of how the thought process began and I, I inquired you know loads of different people from loads of different backgrounds and the one thing that kept coming back was farming you know farming look at trying to farm it mm. which didn't make any sense to me because I was still traveling with the boys I was still away for most of most of the the year pretty much yeah. you know writing or in the studio or recording videos or whatever and I, I didn't at the time it, it wasn't an option for me to rent it out or whatever you know which is what sort of some of the big estates and you know whatever else country houses and stuff do and so that's kind of how it all began really I, I just looked at different ways to farm different things that I could do I, I still have a real keen interest in in um, farming deer which I haven't quite been able to do yet but I'm st- that's still the aim um, and and the reason why you know now I, I farm uh, pigs and I farm Kelly Bond's turkeys the reason why I have those is because they're low maintenance right. you know and so it, it was a, I was able to sort of marry that up with what I was doing at the time and you know kind of that transition has slowly gone more to the farming as opposed to the entertainment side of things but you know still there's a balance there and, and I'm able to look after the animals you know once a day or whatever short fencing you know, all that sort of stuff you know especially with the turkeys as well that's seasonal mm. so it gives me sort of half of the year if mm. I do have to travel and be away where I can get yeah. someone in and that kind of is how it all really started yeah. to gather momentum yeah. i mentioned at the beginning you're you're passionate about kind of educating people about food um, both kids through the stuff you're doing with people like cbb's and, and adults as well so just give me a bit of a snapshot of what that's about of, of what we've kind of gone wrong with some of our attitudes towards food and, and what kind of correction you think is needed well we just don't have any connection to our food and where it comes from you know little things like you know if you if you decide you want to have a dinner party you know you think well, what food do I like or what food do my guests like? I'm going to put that together. And there's nothing wrong with that. And this is the thing a lot of people, when we talk about food, and I think that's one of the reasons why the the, the, the issues have never really gotten better. Mm-hmm. Um, they are slightly getting better, but, you know, they, they, they'll, they'll never really go away because our attitude toward it is always negative. And actually, it should be about educating and the education should be um, interactive. You know, so it's about the mentality if you decide you want to do a a, um, a dinner party 
our thought process should be or needs to be, right, what can I get that's in season? As opposed to, what do I love? If you then, if it's the middle of winter and you think, oh, I'm going to do strawberries and cream. Well, not many people know that strawberries are not in season at that time. You know, and it's been... The, but we can still get them in the supermarket. That's the point. That's the point. So it's, it's, about, the, it's about the sources and origins and people understanding that. And that's got to come from... It's not just all the supermarkets' yeah. fault because, as I say, it's a great thing yeah. that in this country we're able to access foods from all around the world. You know, yeah. coconut or pineapple in the middle of winter is brilliant. It tastes lovely. It's great. But... It's about understanding the process that that pineapples had to take because it's not in season. It's interesting us, you know, this conversation about food and cooking because it does seem to be something that people are more and more switched on to. So there's a few things going on. I mean, the rise of veganism, for example, that or vegetarianism, more and more people are getting involved in that. You've got kind of Jamie Oliver doing his thing, which is slightly similar to you in terms of education and his concerns about junk food. Alongside that, we've kind of got an obesity crisis while, you know, other parts of the world are dying of starvation and this massive inequality between kind of Western diets and, and some of the rest of the world. Um, you've got health conscious people talking about possible links to, to cancers or heart disease based on what we eat. It, it does seem like we're talking more and more about food. And, and you're now, I guess, part of this part of this culture in trying to change perceptions. Absolutely. And I think that is just, that's a great starting point. You know, people need to be talking about it, need to be thinking about it. Ultimately, it's a consciousness, you know, and, it's, and you know, one of the things I want for my, my son and my children and, and obviously for all children, really, is for them to choose things. You know, it's, it's great when I see my son go to the, to the fridge and say, oh, daddy, I'm hungry. And he wants to pick up a carrot you know, or pick up an apple Mm. as opposed to picking up crisps or sweets. He loves crisps and sweets as much as the next child. But do you know what I mean? It's about having that, number one, that option, but number two, being able to think like that, you know, and that is all it boils down to. It's the thought process. It's the understanding. So um, alongside the farming thing, it was announced, I think in August last year, it was announced you're going to become a Songs of Praise presenter, which indeed you you have done. What's that been like for you? That's kind of a new thing for you, I guess, TV presenting. Yeah, um... It's something that I've always in, enjoyed um, and, you know, had little experiences of doing that as part of JLS whenever we did sort of takeover sessions on the radio or, or you know, sort of music channel stuff. And um, I suppose it was it was just something that, as I say, I got to the stage where I didn't particularly want to shun, you know, my, I suppose my entertainment profile and things that I'd done. And it was a case of, well, how can I in, introduce this and mm. use the power of that in order to promote some of the things that I'm now passionate about. And that's kind of how it all began. And and Songs of Praise came about because I was, I I knew the the executive, well, I say knew, I'd worked with the executive producer on that show and they were having a revamp. So originally the BBC made that that show in-house and then they um, pitched it out to Tender and an independent company had it. Um, And it was really exciting for me because I, number as I say, that was the point really where I realised that my Christianity covers everything that I do, you know, and my life is a fluid thing, you know, not just, oh, that's that, this mm. is that, you know, and so on. And I just wanted to get into, get involved in, yeah. in, in presenting and stuff like that. And it's been great because I've been able to do lots of different outdoor activities and things like that, but still be representing my faith and, yeah. you know, still be, I suppose, find the flag for that. And I think it's really important for me to do it. And to be honest, it's a dream job. You know, I can do everything that I'm passionate about. I can do in one show, which is great. I'm not sure if many people, though, would have known that you kind of had a Christian background or would call yourself a Christian before that announcement. So so was there some surprise from some quarters? Like, what's JB doing on a religious show? Um, 
I don't know. I think there was a lot of support, to be honest. Um, but I've never shied away from, I suppose, my faith and, and what I believe. But I guess it's just not come up. Yeah. Well, I, was, I wouldn't necessarily have discussed it that openly um, while I was in JLS. But obviously, during that period, it, you know, people wouldn't have asked that question yeah. necessarily. Yeah. Um, and so now, you know, when people do ask me, I say, well, yeah, this is what I believe. This yeah. is what I'm about. This well, is- why wouldn't you have discussed it when you're in JLS? No, I'm saying it wouldn't necessarily have been it just didn't re- come up. yeah raised. But yeah. if someone had asked me, then I'd have said yeah. So what I'm saying is, it wouldn't necessarily been the first question on people's minds. Um, obviously, now that I've said yeah, I want to do songs of praise and so on and so forth, people think more people about, that. about that. But people do know because I did a, um, a show for ITV called Seven Days with, um, and on that show there was actually you know they covered basically the seven days of of the week or whatever. And on the Sunday, I did take them to church. So they 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 know of yeah. that that in my life it wasn't as much a surprise as i guess to most i know at the time of you taking on the songs of praise job um you said that you hoped your fans would watch you the jls fans would watch you on songs of praise but you know there'll be people who are a bit cynical and sort of say well you know songs of praise isn't that isn't that older people um you know jb's great but is he really going to bring a younger audience with him um what's your response to that well, I mean, for me, it, it's ultimately to do what I love doing and what I think is important. And, you know, that is representing my faith and representing, I guess, the kingdom of God. But do you think today's young people are, like, interested in that? In songs of praise? Well, I mean, I think I think young people these days are interested in individuals, you know. And I have a following. It might not be the biggest in the world, but I have a following of, of sorts, whether it's come from JLS or people who've been charting my success or, you know, people who've watched Down on the Farm with their kids or whatever it might be. And I think people will follow that, you mm. know. And for me, it, ultimately, it's not to get more people watching Songs of Praise, but if people want to watch me, I'm doing something that gives them an, an, an invitation, really, to something mm. that I think is, is really essential and really important. And, you know, it's not not even necessarily about conversion and stuff like that. I think it's really difficult because, similar to myself, like, I wasn't, I, because of my work at the time in JLS or whatever, I was never able to go to church. But if I was able to log into a podcast or see my favourite person mm. on a, a show or whatever, I'd tune in every week. You know, I'm not on every week, but as an example, you mm. know, you're able to access that, and you know that. Tri- I think it's one of those things. That's the, one of the reasons why we're why we're called to to be light and to be salt and so on and so forth. Because it's it's not necessarily what we do. It's what that what it's not necessarily what we do. It's what we do that triggers something else in somebody else. What would you say if if I wasn't a Christian and this was all new to me that you're you're you know you're on songs of praise and you're a Christian? I say, well, what does faith actually mean to you? Like, how does you say it impacts your whole your whole life? But like, what does that actually look like? How does faith change the way you relate to people, the way you do your job, the way you're on the farm? What what does what does Christianity actually mean to you on like a personal level? Well, as I say, for me, it's integral to everything. So. You know, if I if there's a job that I'm not sure about doing or whatever, I'll pray about it. You know, and I'll I'll want to know. Okay, mm. is this the right thing? You know, there's once you build up a bit of an understanding, you, you have there's a blanket. You know, you know. Okay, I'm not going to do that. That's against what I believe. That's not. I'm not comfortable with that. Do you yeah. mean? But there are lots of things which are on the borderline. Mm. And there's lots of times when you when you're convinced to do something because either the money's good or whatever it might be. And so. For me, I I use that as a as a benchmark. You know, that is the foundation. Mm. Everything goes up against that. You know, and if it's something that I'm not comfortable with or something that I, I'm not 100 percent about, sometimes I just I'll just step away. You know, and 
as I say, that goes for everything, whether it's with my family, whether it's with my children, whether it's with my work, whether it's with my friends or family, you know, whatever it might be, that's what it means to me, you know, and mm. that's what I would encourage other people to do. You know, mm. a lot of people don't necessarily have that benchmark. They don't necessarily have family where they can talk to. You know, they, they probably might not have the, the background or the confidence or the strength within themselves to do it, you mm. know, so that's kind of what I would yeah. say. You enjoy the, the variety of the kind of TV presenting and the farming and the, you know, I mean, you have you have a kind of, I guess it would be called a portfolio career. You've got your hands in lots of different pies, so to speak. Is that is that an enjoyable thing for you? Absolutely, you know, and, and it's one of those things, you know, you grow up and you hear a lot of um, sort of motivational speakers say it, you know, you know, look inside yourself and you can be anything that you want to be. But actually, I find that when people actually get to that position where they can be anything that they want to be, they just shy away from it, you know, and, and they get nervous and they think, well, no, I should be this and that's it. You know, and I've seen it all the way through throughout our, our musical career, through my career in general, you know, people see you and they expect you to be one thing mm. but I say to people all the time like you're not one thing it's one of the things that I've always struggled with as I say I grew up with classical music and I never ever understood that I could go on tour and play the flute for Beyonce do you know what I mean? Mm. But the best artists in the world have a full band. And mm. in that band, they've got saxophonists, they've got drummers, they've got people who have come from those musical backgrounds, mm. you know, and understand the theory of music. That's why they make the best music in the world. Mm. But I just never, I never knew that. I never had that knowledge, never had that understanding when I was younger. You know, and it really frustrates me when you've got, you know, you, you see it all the time. You know, I know ex-professional rugby players um, and, and you see it you saw it especially in the semi-professional era you know you've got some of the best rugby players playing around the world and they've got like broker black bands in brokering or whatever and they run their own companies stuff like this you know these are incredibly you know uh, um, successful people and in more than one mm. remit and I think it's it's a bit of a lie really of society to mm. say that you've got to pick one career and that's yeah. it and you've got to go for it I, I'm not saying jump around but I'm th- I think if you've got multiple talents and multiple yeah. skills there's nothing wrong with you yeah. exploring is, is all of that. It, is it almost a bit frustrating to kind of have to answer the question oh what's it like doing lots of different things because you're just saying look everyone does lots of different things what's the big <laughs> deal you know what I mean well I don't think everyone does do lots of different things they should they have the ability to that's what I'm saying yeah. you know and as but I you say- think but you think kind of the media or society likes to kind of <clears> pigeonhole <throat> so it's like oh either you're in the boy band or you're the farmer or you're the yeah I think there's a perception that it's confusing if you do more than one thing but actually I don't I don't see why it should be perhaps it is but I don't see why it should be but for me you know and I don't get frustrated I just think I love doing it you know I love presenting and I think my presenting can have a theme and can relate to what I do with the farm but at the same time you know I'm able to use my musical talents to influence that as well Mm. I wrote this uh, or or, um, uh, sang the the theme tune for down on the farm so I've been able to use my musical talent for that you know I've been able to use my musical talent with Songs of Praise. Songs mm. of Praise is, is a show about music, but actually has lots of different themes, which, you know, cover a vast range of... Yeah, it's of... very broad. <clears throat> so what's been the best day of your career and what's been the worst? <laughs> uh, the best day of my career is probably when myself and the boys won two Brit Awards. Uh, I mean, that's the pin- pinnacle of the UK music industry, or the, I guess the highest accolade. Um, and we won two in one night. So, um, Pretty good going. Yeah. <laughs> and my worst, um, it's not too many bad ones. I'm trying to think. Probably when we announced that we were going to break up, because I think no one really expected that. Mm. Um, you know, and we had lots of fans who were 
pretty devastated. In fact, I, I get meet people all the time who are literally just saying like, I'm still crying over it. And I'm like, well, I'm really sorry. We didn't do oh, it on purpose. Are you like, guys, got to move on? <laughs> uh, well, they're all sort of my age now, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you still feel bad about it. But, really? you know, it's, of course, yeah. Because, you know, it's the best part of about six years, as I say, where these people have grown up with you, you know, from... 12 or whatever all the way through and and um you know as i say now some of them got their own kids and they watch you know down on the farm whatever and then they kind of still have a little bit of a joke about it wow they're waiting for the reunion anyway i was about to ask you about that you (laughs) must get asked that in every interview like when's the reunion yeah of course i mean there's no plans as yet um but obviously, you know, you never say never. Never say never. Never, never say, say never. never. Very good. Well, JB, it's been great chatting to you. Um, just just as we round this off, um, I wanted to ask you a couple of kind of broader questions ab- ab- about how people kind of relate to Christianity. And, and because, you know, some people say our society is becoming more and more secular, actually. And if you look at all the stats about church going and atheism, from a Christian point of view, it seems like less and less people have a faith. And, you know, you're out there in the, in the media and you're relating oftentimes to people who are younger. What's your perception on where our kind of culture's at at the moment when it comes to people's perceptions of Christianity? Because I talk to many people who feel feel like Christianity's almost been a bit marginalised and actually Christians have views that are kind of even more controversial now in society than just a few years ago and people are trying to kind of navigate this space. And I know that's a massive question to end on, but I just <laughs> want to hear from your perspective. Is is there some truth in some of those feelings that Christians have? Um, I, I would say that there is. You know, I think, yes, the the trend has been... Very much, obviously, Christianity has been, I suppose, the bedrock of of British society anyway for a long time. You know, you do still see a lot of those themes, you know, played out in the way that we live life. But I think the the again the connection to it, as in the direct connection to it, has has gone away. And I think with so many different, th- you know, so many injustices and so many things that people are frustrated about and upset about, you know, and, and have really hurt our society they've been negative you know and I don't necessarily think that as Christians as well we've done the right we've always done the right job in order to get that across the line you know and it's difficult because engaging with young people is is very very hard it takes it's a skill you know and I think it's in its own right it's it's important but it's very difficult to do you know as Christians we have to stand up you know we have to stand up and we have to take ownership and we have to be able to do what Christianity should do and that is to live like Christ you know and it, we're not perfect I think there's a, there is a perception which is sometimes yeah people think oh if you're a Christian you've got everything to hold hold together and you're you're Mr. Holy don't they exactly and and that's that's for, that's um difficult as well I suppose for Christians because mm. when you've got that in the back of your mind all mm. the time it it can sometimes make you less productive but again that's a lie as far as I'm concerned and that's why you have to encourage each other, yeah. you know, because I think it's really important to do that. And, you know, one of the things, that, one of the songs I sing with my with my son is um, the fruits of the spirit, which is the fruits of the spirit. I love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there's no law, mm. you know. And, I mean, he, he doesn't quite understand. He understands patience. He nice. knows that one. <laughs> but he's still getting to grips still with the others. Yeah. But the point is that unless you exhibit those things, unless you, whether you're in the workplace, as I say, it's fluid, you know, wherever you go, we're best yeah. you know if you unless you exhibit those things yeah. people are not going to be yeah. able to connect with them they're not going to understand you know you've got also you're you're dealing with the fact that i come from a christian background so if i speak to someone who has no christian background mm. and expect them to have a christian background that's really really difficult they're not going to understand what you're saying they're not going to necessarily you know yeah. and it's difficult sometimes to do that and that's why as i say you know you need 
Christians from all walks of life, mm. all places, all backgrounds, yeah. whatever, to be able to, to connect with people absolutely. from all different backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. And with that in mind, what would be your advice to a Christian who's wanting to enter the kind of mainstream music world? I would say, if they haven't already, reconnect with God. Simple as that. They have to read their Bible. They have to pray every day. You know, and it's difficult. I put my hands up. I still haven't mastered it yet. But, you know, where possible, I try to, you know, and because it's important. And I think with that guiding them, you know, I, I know lots of friends of mine who are super talented, you know, and they, they write their own songs. So it's not like the content of their songs is controversial or against what they believe or anything. But it, it, it's going into a sec- secular mm. marketplace. And mm. I, as I say, I don't, I don't think... That's not a place for Christians because, as I say, we have to penetrate all different mm-hmm. backgrounds and mm-hmm. all different workplaces in order for us to be effective. But at the same time, you have to be protected when you go into those spaces yeah. because it's easy, especially for women. You know, a friend, as I say, the friend of mine is a female mm-hmm. and she's really, she struggles because the producers want to hit on her or this, that, and the other. And I'm like, well, you have to know what you stand for. That's the bottom line. And then you have to be governed and driven by that. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you don't, as an example if it's the producer and he's not right you have to not work with the producer you have mm-hmm. to work with somebody else yeah. you know and I think at the right time w- whether it's your message and stuff like that and you, you've seen some artists nowadays you know nowadays popular artists as well who are talking about these things and talking about their relationship with God and stuff like that and I think I saw at the Brits this year was it this year? maybe this year um, Stormzy um, yeah, accept, accept, acceptance speech um, you know sp- spoke about his relationship with Christ I don't know him personally I don't know what his relationship is like but for me that's a that's f- flying that flag mm. you know and again he's not perfect mm. you know, none of us are yeah. but I think anything that he can do to shine that light or anybody can do yeah. there's a place for it you see what I'm saying Absolutely. so I, I just encourage them to keep going but always to have their foundation in in Christ it's a great bit of advice and a wonderful place to leave it. JB Gill, thank you so much for coming in. Pleasure. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. That was my interview with JB Gill, the former JLS pop star. Do hope you enjoyed that. If you want to hear more interviews just like that one, why not check out The Profile as a podcast? Just search for The Profile wherever you find your podcast or go to premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile. We've interviewed all sorts of people from all walks of life, church leaders, pop stars, sports stars, you name it. They're on the show and there's loads more great interviews coming up for you every single week, not only here on Premier Christian Radio, but on The Profile podcast. So why not check it out? premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile if you like what you hear please do give us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcast from and we'll see you next week